This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, June 2nd, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. We sadly must accept that regulators gonna regulate, but local governments ought to tread more lightly. Greg Brooks of the Better Cities Project argues that lawmakers aren't typically interested in adapting to new and popular ways of using existing resources. They're more interested in satisfying constituencies, and that often means trying to quash new tech-enabled business before it can bear fruit. A few years ago, I went to Austin, Texas for an event. I land at the airport. I walk outside and uh, pull up my phone, and you know what I'm going to say. I pulled up Uber. Maybe it was Lyft. I don't recall. And uh, it just said, no, I don't know. Not here. Thank you. Please go to the cab stand. And I thought, well, that's a fine. How do you do? Welcome to our city. Here are your limited options. That's right. And I just just walked outside and thought, well, that's that's not very welcoming to a guy who wants to learn about the city. And man, there's no better way to learn about a city than talking to a local who drives a lot around in that city. And that was an option wasn't available to me. And so to the extent that cities have the discretion to either allow or disallow a lot of these kinds of uh, innovations, uh, what? How do they think about it? Well, the short answer is they don't think about it enough, and then they try and play whack-a-mole as new innovations come into the market, right? And the problem with approaching regulation, particularly regulation around innovations that way, is that it's almost always 100% reactive. You're not legislating against or for the innovation you're answering the loudest voices in the audience that are trying to protect their market share. And that's exactly what happened in Austin. Okay. So Uber and Lyft are one thing. I used to live in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, and there was a candidate running for city council who part of his platform was, I will ban residential home sharing. You know, I'm always at a loss when I hear things like that, because if I were to go out into the square, into the town square and say, I want to ban anybody opening a shop or I want to ban you having a side hustle. Uh, Maybe you're doing a freelance uh, writing job or graphic design at home. Uh, Nobody would take that seriously. And yet when it comes to home sharing, we have it. In particular, there is there is a class of generally Republican, generally suburban uh, people who think that there is a compact between them and their local government that their property values will always rise. And so res- policy responses like that, this this rubber stamp restrictive no never, are in re- again, it's it's a reactive response to the loudest voices in the choir rather than a thoughtful response to long term innovation. Well, it also is for a lot of people who have uh, made an investment in a home, that possibility of doing home sharing was a calculation. That's right. That's right. And, uh, you know, those calculations can go, uh, they certainly can go south, but sometimes they they go very well. Los Angeles has uh, had something on the order of 10 times the number of permits for accessory dwelling units in the past year that they've had in prior years because they've loosened the regulation around that. And lo and behold, to everybody's shock and surprise, people pursue their rational self-interest and increase the value of their property and the flexibility of their property with these things. You know, it's a, it's a good example of how even in an extraordinarily uh, liberal uh, city, 
in an extraordinarily liberal state, uh, eventually people see the light and the, and the value of doing that. One of the complaints I hear about gig economy workers is that they are, of course, all essentially 1099 employees, or if, if, they're, if they're affiliated with something like Uber or Lyft, or it's uh, you know, a one, one unit uh, rental that people rent out of, rent out of their, their homes, and cities would like to direct that or control it or not hear, not hear from the loudest voices in the room. There are no voices in the room because everybody's happy. Well, but that's just it, right? You know, there's the, there are competing interests here. One is, of course, the the entrenched interests that are impacted by by these sorts of regulation. But there's also this paternalistic, I call it civic paternalism uh, mindset that uh, cities get into, where they'll talk endlessly about the need for good jobs. Well, who is a better judge of what a good job is? The city council member who's getting paid a full-time salary to regulate the lives of others, or somebody who wakes up every morning deciding, here's my personal balance sheet, here's my personal set of circumstances, this is what I can do to better those circumstances. People are smart and innovative, and, and that's, that's not just some enlightened creative class that, that we'd like to think fills all of our cities. The middle class is wildly creative about its finances and its circumstances. The poor are wildly creative and innovative. They all make their way. The job of government at all levels, but particularly at cities, should be to clear the way for them, not to set up a series of hurdles for them to jump over. What is the future for the gig economy uh, as far as cities are concerned? If the, the competing interests, I assume, uh, in the cases that we've discussed so far, taxi cabs, hotels, uh, neighborhood associations that don't want to be bothered with uh, the the imposition provided by, and I put that in scare quotes, provided by somebody staying at your home and gasp paying money to do so. I think that the uh, home sharing economy is a direct threat to homeowners associations. And right now it's not an existential threat because it's not pervasive. But if it becomes more pervasive, it certainly runs up against uh, uh, the current generation of restrictive homeowner association rules. I have a lot of trouble seeing something like, for example, uh, the city of Irvine, California, which is a model of one of the most master planned communities uh, in the country. I have trouble seeing them becoming a mecca for Airbnb, right? But that's not to say that somebody won't build a com another community specifically with that in mind because for you know increasingly for every homeowner who wants restrictions on the color of their home and the setback of the lawn and whether or not you can work a business at home there are homeowners who want complete flexibility with their property and you know the market has a way of responding to those needs i think for things other than airbnb you're uh most of the action will be at the state level because that's where you can you can have the most leverage. But individual cities uh, can have can make a big difference simply by streamlining their processes. And it sounds like such a small thing, but if it costs you five hundred dollars and two or three days worth of confusing paperwork and maybe three weeks of approval process simply to drive an Uber, well, guess what the 
the type of people who maybe want to drive an Uber because they want some quick cash, you've, you've filtered out for them, right? They're not going to get their quick cash. They're going to go find some other option. Uh, I think cities in general need to make a decision, uh, and, and open their eyes to the idea that in the fragility of the, what is hopefully post pandemic economy, uh, People are going to find a way to make their way, and you can either be helpful and capture some of that revenue on the tax rolls, or you can be unhelpful and the money will move underground. In in watching how this pandemic has progressed and you're seeing states sort of prohibit localities from undertaking certain safety measures (laughs) related to the pandemic, you sort of understand that uh, state lawmakers, they're trying to meet their own constituencies back home. Uh, by making their preferences ratified statewide, uh, and uh, cities can uh, presumably play a role in maybe preventing that or saying, hey, we've got something good going here. Don't ban it. Um, So what's the interplay between states and cities when it comes to empowering or regulating away gig economy workers? Well, I like to uh, I like to say that uh, you know local control is great right until it becomes local out of control and that's when there's a role for the state to step in and set some guardrails on what cities can do. Uh, we've seen a version of that in Florida where at the state level they've added clarity to what does and doesn't constitute a gig worker and how those workers are in fact 1099 contract workers rather than employees and it. It just gets rid of a lot of the potential friction from a local, a local market uh, policymaker and a local market captured interest deciding that they, they want to make a fuss about something. Uh, in Nevada, which is arguably one of the nation's uh, most robust, Southern Nevada uh, is arguably one of the nation's most robust taxi markets. It took the state stepping in to uh to bring uber and lyft and other ride sharing services we're actually hoping in nevada that the same thing will happen with home sharing uh probably not to many people's surprise in clark county which is a home to the strip uh home sharing and short-term rentals have been illegal for more than 30 years Greg Brooks is president of the better cities project subscribe to the cato daily podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.